This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, a Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent. I'm your other host, Swara Sala. And today, we go to therapy. Well, not really, but it's going to come pretty close to that. We're going to be talking about race, representation, and reconciliation on today's show. Should be a really interesting program, and we are excited for you uh, to stick around and enjoy that conversation. Uh, maybe at our expense, but it will be it will be good for us, and I think it will be good for uh, for all the listeners as well. Um, yeah, yeah, this is an episode where we're really just going heart to heart about you know things where we really care about and how to communicate about misunderstandings and about how we can reconcile from those. And, you know, it is a form of therapy, essentially. You know, we're not seeing a therapist, but we're just like laying our our hearts out to you for the listeners right now. So I hope you enjoy it. Sometimes that's what Beltway Banthas has to be all about. But before we get to that... Swara, how was your week? How have you been? I, I understand you you took over an episode last week while I was away on politician profile of Leia, and that was a really, really fun one. Yeah, and we really missed you, man. You know, I was talking with Charlotte and Caitlin. They really wish you were on as well, and John. Um, you know, it was a really fantastic conversation. Our listeners, if you haven't listened to it yet, please check it out. We have on our good friend John Liang and the hosts of the Sky Talkers podcast, Charlotte Arity and Caitlin Plesher. We went over all, all about Leia, her history, her politics, and it was a really great conversation. Um, so about me, I am doing very well because I mean, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Guys, Mark Hamill, <laughs> Mark Hamill followed me on Twitter t- about three days ago. I am flipping out. I am three, over Three the days later, still flipping. I am. So you know the Stephen Colbert gif, my heart is going to burst because it's full of rainbows. That is me every single day now because Mark Hamill knows who I am. He only <laughs> follows like, uh, he follows less than a thousand people on Twitter. He decided to follow me. Uh, I'm just, I'm over the moon about this. <laughs> so anyway, uh, other than that, um, well, Swar, I, for one, I'm very happy for you. I know your entire life has led up to this moment. It, it really feels like it has to be <laughs> honest. Cause Mark Hamill knows who I am. Like people should know, like Mark Hamill has been my hero since childhood. He's the Joker. He's Luke Skywalker. He's, He's such an amazing human being. I really, really hope, Luke, or I really hope Mark Hamill does not have an intern (laughs) who does for him. I always get so bummed out. Like a lot of news personalities, they usually have interns running their accounts. And I'm like, oh my God, Anderson Cooper followed me. But Mark Hamill is uh, pretty pretty well in control of his own stuff. It's not not the same. Exactly. I think he stated this in interviews as well. And, um, but anyway... Besides that, my week in Star Wars, I just started Inferno Squad on audiobook, uh, narrated by Janina Gavankar, who voices the main character in Battlefront 2. And guys, I love this book. This is the first time I've ever done an audiobook, or at least a Star Wars audiobook. And the narration is great. I love the writing. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of it. Other than that, you know, we've been getting a lot of Star Wars news. We now have it out of D23. We have... Um, 
uh, you know, uh, news about Galaxy's Edge we discussed on the Lay episode. But now, Stephen, uh, what do you think about the news out of D23 that we've gotten and the uh, Last Jedi sizzle reel? Oh, my gosh. Well, there's just so much there. First of all, I am also reading Inferno Squad. I just started it this morning. I'm about three chapters in, and I think it's off to a great start. I just love getting these inside looks at the way the Empire works and how Imperials think. Uh, and uh, spoiler alert, it's dark. They're not really great people. But, you know, <laughs> from, from a certain point of view, from a certain point of view, I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty horrible. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad uh, to get this book because, you know, I've always been kind of an imp myself. So I'm excited about it. Uh, D23. So I was following this from uh, on my vacation. Uh, I believe that's when that was going down. And Star Wars Land, uh, also you know, called Galaxy's Edge. I'm with Riley Blanton on this one of the Star Wars Report. You can call it Galaxy's Edge as much as you want. It's always going to be Star Wars Land. It's Star Wars Land in yeah, our hearts, guys. That's, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> and they're going to have to spend millions of dollars to get people to call it Galaxy's Edge. And oh then they God. will still call it Star Wars <laughs> Land. There's nothing that you can get us to do exactly. to change that behavior. But yes, so excited about it. The idea that they are going to go with immersion into Star Wars for this entire experience is so exciting. I mean, it's being described as like the West World of or a four Star Wars. And what more could you ask of Disney in the 21st century than to actually finally provide story immersion uh, in the form of a hotel and a theme park? Just so exciting. I, I don't know when it opens, but I, I know think, that uh, we need to start saving our money. I think it opens in 2018 uh, or tw- early 2019, one of the two. To, to accompany one of the movies, I imagine. It'll be great. Uh, actually, yeah, I think it's going to open in 2019 to accompany episode nine. Uh, but wait, no, episode nine is coming out in 2018. Sorry, guys, I have my date to lower I just place. <laughs> I just want to quit my job and go do this. Like, I mean, come on. So, I want to go have a character, work in this hotel. I already want to get back into hospitality uh, at some point. And so maybe this is where I oh should my, do it. May, maybe you need to work at the Star Wars Hotel. Forget uh, I need to work at the Star Wars Hotel. Forget, forget Hilton. For, yeah. forget, forget politics. Forget, like, the real world. Forget, like, you know, making public impact. Or, no, this is a form of public it, impact. Hey, it's public, it? public service <laughs> at its highest, Soir. Exactly. Hospitality, taking care of people, making sure they have the greatest couple days of their life. That's a high calling. Honestly, when I worked at Hilton for about two years, I just loved it. I don't know why I left. Politics is the worst. I need to go back to hotels, and I need to go back to the Star Wars hotel. You, you know, to get it all serious for a second, I think the political world really needs you, my friend. It really <laughs> does, to be serious. But, but uh, by the way, you should talk on our Leia episode, Charlotte was talking about during her Bantha fodder about how she wants to abandon the wor- real world and go to Star Wars land. So maybe y'all need to meet up and like yeah, I mean, may, may, Maybe we do. Maybe we do. But uh, you mentioned the sizzle reel as well. Mm, and... Yeah. Uh, I guess it's cool. I, I, I don't mm. I don't know what to, to make of these things anymore. Like Star Wars marketing is just so exposed yeah. these days as opposed to the way it used to be. Um, it, the way that I remember it, it might not actually be true. I just remember there being one trailer or one teaser, uh, maybe two theatrical trailers in the movie, and that was like all you got. But like everything's so exposed now. So I don't – I kind of – don't like seeing all these mm-hmm. little shots and things and then having to think about why was Kylo Ren yeah. blocking three swords? Why was yeah. Ray blocking three swords? Yeah. It makes it's it's spoilery in my mind because 
I know mm. it's just leads to more speculation, but I do want them to keep things close to the vest. I want right. to be completely surprised. So the thing about marketing is that they need to make sure they have a balance between teasing and making sure they're not too spoilerly. Spoilery. <laughs> um, John uh, on our lay episode was talking about the same thing. Like he does, he doesn't really like sizzle reels that much. He doesn't want to be overly exposed and. I personally really liked it, but I can totally hear how someone may not have wanted to see some of the things out of that sizzle reel that they wanted to be surprised in the theater instead. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not one of those things that I would ever I, I ever mean to dump on. I liked the sizzle reel a lot. It was really mm-hmm. fun to watch. I watched it three times. My daughter loved it. She screamed after it was over. She was so excited when that, well, that image of Ray with her with her hood up and the yeah. lightsaber. Out. Oh, just, that was so cool. It was just great. And, and the truth of the matter is that a lot of times the footage that they show in trailers and we're learning this more and more and more and sizzle reels they aren't actually in the movie that shot of kylo ren (laughs) wearing his mask in front of an elevator um just sort of in a a big open room i i would honestly be shocked if that shot is in the movie uh but i will say i was very surprised kylo ren had a mask me too i thought i thought he was going to be done with the mask um it was lost on on star our star killer base and i kind of figured like it's one of a kind. You don't like, have like <laughs> you don't have like this lineup of oh, replacements. You, oh, you know he has a closet full of them. Yeah, like, I I thought it was gonna be I thought it was gonna be uh, mask off the entire time, showing off his new fancy scar and like how grown up and adult and <laughs> and wounded he is. But no, he's actually going back to the mask again. Um, which I'm totally fine with. He's more menacing that way, and I think it's it's a good look for a villain. But I, I was surprised. But and also, like, why... The, you know, it seemed... My impression watching Force Awakens was that he was casting off the m- m- helmet and really embracing... Like, he wasn't going to be afraid to look at himself being part of the dark side anymore. And... But it all, I had a Twitter conversation uh, about a week and a half ago, and I realized um, this is maybe part of Kylo Ren's uh, recidivism, like how he's just stepping backwards, and maybe he's just more conflicted, and this is a showcase of that. So I don't know. We'll see. We certainly will see. Um, anything else going on in the world of Star Wars politics that you're, you're particularly excited about? I, I know... Uh, we had the Forces of Destiny videos that came out this past month. We haven't gotten a chance to talk about that just because our paths have been crossing so much in hyperspace lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but those came out. Really, really enjoyed them for the most part. They were they were cute videos. My daughter enjoyed them a whole lot. Um, we watched them in marathon while we were down on vacation in South Carolina. Did you take some time to watch all those as well? Yeah, I watched uh, every single one of them the second they came out. And honestly, I absolutely loved all of them. I thought, yeah, this isn't going to be any like uh, uh, canon heavy material. It's not going to be necessarily so pivotal to the main story but what it did do was offer insights into these amazing female characters who have become such a staple of the Star Wars universe and I felt you know I may be reading no you know I will read into a children's cartoon here you know we do that with Rebels and with Clone Wars all the time it really highlighted some of the aspects of why we love some of these characters so much. For example, uh, Ahsoka's bravery as she goes and be a hero to uh, family, or Rey's kindness and humility that she can feed this giant worm that tried to feast on BB-8. <laughs> it's really, and this is what the uh, creator, I think her name is Jennifer Murdo, said. She really wanted to showcase those small moments to that are in between the films or within the films between scenes about why these characters are the way they are. It it, it makes sense. I mean, there's, there's so much that goes on when the cameras are not on these characters in the movies and it, 
it makes sense to show like little serial serialized versions of these stories, just putting them out there, like you know how they they canonized the Wampa in the Hoth base. I love like that. I think there's that there's some great. there's some value, there's some callback nature to that. It's very cool. Um, I might have like overspoke earlier when I said like I enjoyed them. I mean, truth is. I didn't really personally enjoy them. Right. I, they're not my thing. Um, that's not my type of entertainment. It's two-minute, you know, very cutesy, short serials. I care nothing for them. But they're good pieces of work. There's so much Star Wars out there. Why not have a short YouTube series that are two minutes long that kids can enjoy when they are not doing what they're supposed to be doing at school and, and yeah. <laughs> flipping around on YouTube? Like my my daughter, Sylvie, she really, really enjoyed them. Like she was really, really giddy about it. She likes seeing Star Wars in kind of like the hand-drawn cartoon style that she watches on television. And so, you know, I kind of like, I'm so miffed about like all the, the reactions about mm. yeah, you have to like forces of destiny for this and this and this reason and you shouldn't like it for this and this reason like listen it's not for me yeah. that they this program that they put together they did not market test Stephen Kent for this. <laughs> they market tested children yeah and girls, adults and adults yeah. can either enjoy it or yeah. not enjoy it but my enjoyment comes from her enjoying it exactly my child loving star wars mm. and talking about it and thinking about it that gives me energy every day. So you know what? It's 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 a fine series. <laughs> I, I I agree a hundred percent. No one should force you to like have to like something. You know, you're the consumer. You're going to like it or not, whether or not you do. Sim- simple as that. And uh, you can have absolutely legitimate, like you do, legitimate reasons for not liking it. You know, it's a two minute short. It doesn't have much story in it. You may not, some people don't like the animation and that's fine. That's a subjective, like nuanced and critical opinion that, you know, just demonstrates like a certain person's appreciation for a type of art, such as animation. Now I will say like, you know, there have been some, I've seen some stupid opinions out there. Like let's not pretend they don't exist, but this isn't what we're talking about right now. We're talking about a grown man who happens not to like something that's primarily geared towards six year old girls, you know? And I happen to like that a lot. It's just different takes, but I fully acknowledge (laughs) that the primary audience for this is little girls who are looking to be inspired by these awesome female characters. And I, I think we both love that. And, and maybe this should be our segue into our main topic. So let's, let's flush this out a little bit sure, more. Like sure. there have been some really bad criticisms of forces of destiny. Um, this one, this one was kind of benign, but I don't think it was malicious, but I, there, we were talking about star Wars tweeting, uh, someone in response to their, their take on force of destiny. Someone, I think, you know, very, benignly just was like, hey, would love to see one of these for Anakin Skywalker. Okay? Mm -hmm. And Star Wars tweets back, you might love episode three, (laughs) Revenge of the Sith, uh, smiley face. And, you know, like that sort of encapsulates the the response to this by a lot of people. They're like, okay, so there's all these little short serials, you know, where's my favorite characters? And you have all these people like, where's the one for Han Solo? Where's one for Chewie? Where's one for Luke? And you know, the response has been, I think just over the top where people are just like falling into these camps where they assume the worst of people. I agree. So if you're going to do star Wars shorts, you know, like two little, two minute little serials, uh, why not do one of all these leading characters, right? In theory, they're easy to do. It's two minutes. The story is very light. It's just fun. But what kind of star Wars do we lack 
right now. Yeah. It's Star Wars with leading characters and really like this comic format uh, made for girls. And I think that that's great. There are comics, there are books, there are audio sets. I, I, you know, Sylvie has the, 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 the book on CD. There's all these different forms of Star Wars. Why not have YouTube shorts geared towards little girls? Yeah. It's What's just, the big deal? Why it, do we have to like talk about, oh, where's the guy characters? <laughs> and I think it's just something that because we're so interconnected as a fan of right now, especially with social media and people see the reactions to forces of destiny. Like for example, a very overwhelming, I mean, from my interpretation, from my point of view, a very overwhelmingly positive response, but that shouldn't mean like we were talking about before that everyone actually does like it or love it. It's, Everyone has a subjective opinion, and we need to be cognizant of that and be open-minded to the fact that people may have legitimate criticisms of something we love. Like, for example, I love The Force Awakens so much. It's one of my favorite films of all time, but I absolutely accept the criticisms people have. Well, most of the criticisms. If if you're going to, like, say Ray is Mary Sue, then get out of here. Um, Like, uh, you know, I accept, like, most other criticisms, like it being too similar to A New Hope. That's something I happen to like, but if you don't like it, that's fine, and I respect that. Side note, the the Ray-Mary Sue thing, like... I, I get why people say that, but I think we're going to find out why she is so powerful. Yes. Like, that's that's the thing. And I think the conversation stops short mm-hmm. of, like, going to the, the next step, which is, all right, so Rey is more powerful than any Jedi that we have seen. Well, I'm sorry, not Jedi. Any Force user that we've seen who's, like, just tapping into their power. Right. She's incredibly good. She knows how to sword fight. She knows how to... She, she manages to do Jedi mind tricks. All this yeah. stuff, right? But... People, people think and, and respond to it in a way that like, oh, they did this uh, for some sort of political and, and, you know, and, and sex-based reason. Like, okay, but maybe there's a reason she is so powerful. This is the first movie out of a trilogy totally. from a character who we know nothing about. Yeah. She has a backstory that they're going to tell us. And mm. my running theory is that my running theory is that she was a student at Luke's Jedi temple. Mm. I, right. I have, I can't place that in the timeline, all that stuff, but I, I have this theory that like she has been trained in the force before yeah. and she's been trained to forget. Mm. All right. And so like, can we talk about, yes, Ray is really powerful more than we've ever seen. I think from a first movie, but why? Like yeah, there's probably a I why agree. to yeah. it. Um, so, anyways, backing up to back to the uh, the forces of destiny. So, like, you know, it's a product with a very specific audience in mind, and it's covering a blank spot that, like, I don't think we've really touched on before too much, which is just like giving more exposure to a lot of these female characters. And I am one where I don't look at that and see, or, and say to myself, okay, but where are the characters that make me feel like I'm part of this story? Right? Like, I don't feel like I have to be a part of this serial and see someone there who looks like me and represents me because I am someone special too. Yeah. Like, different properties and different franchises and different things are sometimes for different people. Totally. Do you think that that's wrong? No, not at all. I think that's perfectly fine. Like, they, you acknowledge, like, what Forces of Destiny is for. And, you know, the reason, you know, like, I think, you know, if we're going to, like, get you know, start to get like, you know, personal here like that. I think you don't have that reaction is because you've already seen so many heroes that do look like you that represent you and, uh, you know, that you can be inspired by. And that's great. I, I guess, and then we're going to come back around to this in the main topic of the show, which we're about to do. We're about to do this <laughs> is I just always felt like characters are supposed to represent you 
and that they share your struggles, right? right? They, they, they go through the same things that you go through. I, I just get really miffed at this idea that like a, a, a little boy cannot relate to Jen right. and, and right. her kindness and her bravery and all this stuff. Um, and also just like just her ability to, to stand up to people um, who maybe want her to back down, like that they could not relate to her hmm. and feel camaraderie with that character because it's a girl, right? Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. Let's start. Let's get to our main topic now, I think, because I'll just start with saying like how I feel about Star Wars and representation and whatnot. It's like Luke Skywalker and Leia and Han Solo have always been my heroes, my number one heroes that I've always been deeply inspired by. Um, and you know, I'm going to mention like something like a little outside of Star Wars, but you know, who else, who else were heroes of mine growing up in another film I really loved? Who? Aladdin. Oh, Aladdin. Honestly, you know, it's like, I'm Kurdish, not Arab, but still like both Aladdin and I and Jasmine are from the Middle East and seeing, uh, Aladdin and Jasmine and their struggles and what, and the great lessons that were in that film, it resonated with me in a, you know, it, Luke Skywalker always resonated with me, number one, because uh-huh. like, I loved his story technically the most. But Aladdin honestly did resonate with me in a specific way because here was someone who looks like me, who has the same color skin as me, the same dark eyes, the same black hair, and comes from the same region, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's like there's something meaningful in that. And it just felt as though I and my family were being acknowledged as being from a certain culture, a certain race that could be portrayed on screen. And like, it's like, I don't demand that every single person is a person of color, but like that we see on screen now, but I think, do think that we need more. I think all people need to be represented because of this um, need to see yourself on screen of like being able to relate to the characters on screen for how you look. I mean, that actually does matter. You see, I agree with you, Stephen, that we absolutely should be able to relate to a diverse range of characters, of gender, of race, of sexual orientation, whatnot. But it is, you know, see, that's the thing. We can have that diversity as well. And I think when we have that amazing array of characters, we can be more open-minded as well to the different struggles and different stories they go through. So, on to our main topic today, which Suara really just nicely teed up. We're going to go into this a little bit deeper. Um, around July 18th, 19th, Suara and I had a fight. Yes, it is true. All of it. Uh, y'all mom and dad don't always get along. Uh, Suara and I uh, have a lot of different opinions, uh, diverging views. Um, a lot shocking. Of, a lot of shit. Yeah, really, really shocking. Like, this is a real newsflash. Um, a lot of shared values, Right. But still, some of them, some of them we, we talk about differently. We use different vocabulary to describe sometimes the same shared values. And so we got into a little run-in that I, I got to say was probably one of my, my least favorite few hours in recent memory. Mine too. Um, politics is hard to talk about more than ever, it seems. And, and on my good days, I actually think it's harder to talk about for good reasons, right? On my good days, I think it's harder to talk about for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those being that there are more seats at the table 
uh, when it comes to politics now than there ever have been before. There are more types of people who are allowed to participate in politics. Um, on my not-so-good days, I think it's because of a hypersensitive culture of self-worship and righteous indignation, yeah. right? So these are two diverging feelings about the problem. Uh, I'm sorry, not the problem, but the, the factor of diversity in politics. There are just so many conversations being had, so many points of view, and because now we are allowed to all be at the table and have that conversation, right. and it's it's different than it used to be, right? Yeah. And Suara and I pride ourselves on being good communicators, listening first and responding second. And this show is in many ways a response to a fan culture, Star Wars fan culture, that is increasingly hostile to diverging opinions yeah. on the saga itself. Like, Suara, yeah. you wrote about this just this past week in, in 1138 about, you know, it's like we should be able to say, like, I don't like Saw Gerrera. Like, he yeah. was not a great character in Rogue One, in your opinion. He, he made the movie a little weird in the beginning. Like, he was a caricature. He had really bad dialogue. I didn't like him. I didn't like Borg Gullet. And, you know, I think it's a waste of Forrest Whitaker's talents. Uh, you know, you guys can read this piece. I, I just basically talk about why I think it's con it's uh, important for fans to be constructively critical. You know, it's like if you have a genuine criticism, say it. Uh, you know, don't be afraid of like people bashing on you for it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and this is an eleven thirty eight. You should read it. It's up on our Twitter. But people are just increasingly hostile to diverging opinions on the saga itself, like the points about the movie, the way the movies are made. Like, gosh, we argue about the directors now. Like, right? That's yeah. that's really, a, I think, a, totally. in many ways, a new feature of, of the world. Absolutely. We know so much about where, how a movie is made. There's going to come a time where we have arguments about uh, who is the casting director and the record oh, yeah, that they have. Totally. Like, everything is just out <laughs> yeah. there and transparent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like in, in that regard, we have arguments about the way that a movie is made, the context in which it's made, which is also known as sometimes the politics. Mm -hmm. um, but mm -hmm. what is unique about the problem we face today is sometimes discussion and the way that yeah. we have it. Yeah, and the thing is, this was an online discussion we were having. We were just messaging each other back and forth and the thing is, I'll just let our listeners know, Stephen and I have sometimes had problems like communicating by text. And, you know, when you have no tone, when you have no context, when you have uh, no modulation of the voice like we're doing right now, things can be said that are misinterpreted or that are, um, you know, may come off stronger than we intended. And this was a case of me posting something on Facebook. You know, I wasn't really looking for like a conversation on this. I just thought it was really cool. I'm a Game of Thrones fan and John Boyega. Me too. <laughs> don't, yeah, Seema is also a fan of uh, Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, John Boyega um, said something and I just like posted it on my wall. I was like, I love John Boyega so much. He said, there are no black people on Game of Thrones. You don't see one black person in Lord of the Rings. I ain't pay paying money to always see one type of person on screen because you see different people from different backgrounds, different cultures every day. Even if you're a racist, you have to live with that. We can ruffle up some feathers. So I really like this quote because I thought, hey, he's right. It's a fantasy realm. Why can't we have more people of color? Why can't... But Stephen, you should take an issue with this comment, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know like how much of a, a play-by-play we want to give. Like I, I think w one reason we're doing yeah. this episode is because we wanted to share with all of you 
who are engaged in Star Wars and in politics, you're interested about civic life, and this is something that you care about, we have these discussions with our friends and our family on Facebook mm. and Twitter, and it is, it's agonizing. Like, yeah. it's, it's really, really difficult to do. And I feel like this episode, we wanted to share with you a little bit of sort of the behind-the-scenes stuff that goes on, <laughs> you know, with just two guys who, who talk about Star Wars and politics every week, and it's very controlled. We, we kind of know what we want to talk about, yeah. right? And we have, a, we have decided on a tone of the conversation that we're going to set. But we wanted to also just tell you, like, we, guys, we get it. Like, this is really tough to this do. This is hard. Um, <laughs> friendships are strained by politics and by communication. Yeah. And in the age of social media, it's, it's just even harder. Yeah. Um, Suar and I never have had a tense moment in the same room together talking about stuff. Like, I think a lot of people know that. We yeah. all know that about friends and family who we love. Like, gosh, my uncle. I love my uncle. He's so great. But man, if he posts on my Facebook wall one more time, yeah. I'm going to kill him. <laughs> like, he is the greatest dude. He's so happy. But yeah. what is wrong with him when he's on the internet? Like, and that's that's just where we all go with this stuff. And so... Yeah, and Suara posted the the story about John Boyega, and said, I love John Boyega so much. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna click on see see what he does because I like John Boyega too. He's great. He's Finn. All right, I, John Boyega's cool, right? <laughs> I read the quote and I'm I read and I go like, I don't think that's cool. Like I think that's I think that's kind of dumb. Like I don't understand what he's trying to say. Um, actually, I think I, I do understand what you're trying to say. I just really disagree with it. Um, and so, you know, I, I responded to Suara, you know, essay form, I guess, in a comment section in a way that I kind of felt like was was free flowing, just kind of honest, like kind of taking the points and, and sharing my point of view. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had issues in the past with like just feeling like attacked and stuff when when we're in the same room together talking, like it never really comes across that way. And so it just sort of spiraled out of control. Um, yeah. And you know, by the end, I don't know if I'm going to just cut to the end. Like by the end, I'm like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. Don't call me anytime. And why don't we just work on a time to finish Beltway Banthas? Cause like, if this is what you and I are going to do, and this is the kind of thing that you believe about me, then I don't want to do this show with you. Right. Yeah. And I, 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 I was crying. Okay. I was on the train, um, heading out of DC, headed home. Um, and I was, I was in tears in my train seat. I was like, oh my God, like Suara thinks I'm a horrible person for not agreeing with John Boyega, not wanting to pay money to see a series or anything that are dominated by white people, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I have an issue with that idea. And I was just sobbing. I think my friend thinks I'm a horrible person. Um, and Suara's calling me, right? And trying to be like, right, let's talk. Like, let's, let's have a real conversation. I'm on the train. I am on the quiet car, so I can't take a phone call or I get in trouble because there are fascists on that train. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, but so it was, it was just like this horrible situation. And this is something that you and I, we, we don't do this, right? Like, I thought this, yeah. was, this was not something that's characteristic of the way we try to live our lives and approach ideas and politics. Like... Where would, where would you like to jump in? Because I'd love to talk about what John Boyega said. Yeah, sure. Kind of share some ideas and, and thoughts on why it's wrong. But, like, we could also talk about, you know, why it is hard to discuss these things. Uh, you, you know, it's just like, I just want to say first off, and, you know, Stephen, I know you know this now, but 
just to reiterate, I would never, I, even in that conversation when I will say to our listeners, I was acting a bit arrogantly and I was, well, anyway, I just want to say first off, Stephen, you are the absolutely furthest thing from any sort of terrible anything. You are a wonderful human being and I love you, bro. I just want to say that like sincerely. And I love you too, man. You're a good friend. Yeah, you too. You too. And it's like, basically, I think what I was trying to get at was I was basically like sort of prodding Steve and I was trying to question him saying, okay, why is it that you think this? Why, why is, is it you care about why this? Why is it yeah. that you care about this? Why did this elicit what I ter- thought was such a strong response when it really wasn't. You, you said like you were just free flowing thoughts and like, you know, because this is an interesting discussion to have. And like, I think I was just like really stressed out that day. I'm working on a new project for work and I like, you know, I saw something John Boyega, an actor I love very much and a character I love very much, um, say something like I happen to like agree with because I care about representation so much. I want to see as many people represented as possible. And I guess like it all just got jumbled up. And I think maybe as well, I was putting some of my stresses onto you, which wasn't fair of me. And I think we, and, yeah. I think we all act, react adversely when people we care about respond negatively to things we post, right? Because what what is social media if not your pursuit of thumbs up, right? Right. That's that's what you're doing with everything you put out. You're not going out and putting out your things in hopes. Well, people do 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 this, but normal people do not go out in hopes of like, today I want to get a 200 comment section of people. People disagree with me and thinking that I'm... Why would anyone want that? I don't understand. Like, I did that in college. There are some people who do that. I I did that in college and it was the worst. Like, no one ever got anywhere. No one ever changed anyone's mind. It was just like the same points being repeated over and over again. And like, I think... We all it's want like, we all yeah. want our friends to thumbs yeah. up the things that we say. And yeah. So I think I, I feel like you you were like, why do you, my friend Steve, and I do a podcast with you, feel the need to hop in on this post? And and I've told you about this sometimes when you hop in on on posts of mine, mm. um, embarrass me, like yeah. you know, like like call me out and say that I'm wrong. It feels like humiliation when like when yeah. friends that you yeah. you you like and that you trust. Um, call BS on something, yeah. right? You feel embarrassed and, and you, you react badly. And, and you know, maybe I was, I, I definitely was feeling embarrassed as well because I think you did make some salient points. You were saying that Game of Thrones is like, do you mind if I like just say, yeah, no, I, I want to talk a yeah. little bit about, about yeah. the back and forth. Yeah. Too. Like, uh, you were <laughs> saying that Game of Thrones is based on, you know, a medieval world and that it does have people of color, particularly in Essos, uh, yeah. you know, like, could I, could I spell that sure. out real quick and then, sure. and then take it from there. So I, I feel like I get the right point out. Like Tol- Tolkien's yeah. work, yeah. um, was constructed from the remnants of Greek, Celtic, like Norse, Finnish and our art King Arthur lore. Right. It is a British tale to the core, mm. right? Mm. It's, it's also reflective, not only of being a British tale, but being a British tale in the early 20th century before we actually have, really multicultural societies where immigration has redefined the look and the feel of what a country looks like. And Game of Thrones is a spinoff of that general Tolkien world vibe um, in that it features continents that in many ways are not alien. These are not 
Westeros is not made from scratch, right? Right. There, there's fantasy, and I, I, there's fantasy that is completely made from scratch, and there's fantasy that it like completely models the world that we live mm. in. Like mm. in Westeros, I, I'm not a Game of Thrones expert, right? I, I just watch the show. You have the Western world. <laughs> Yeah. Right, the Western world, and it is it is European, like it's mm. um, Western right. Europe, right. and you have all these different countries within uh, the Western part of the world that all have very different cultures. You have the North, you have the South, kind of the tropic South, and the North as well. And then across the narrow sea, you have what is like Africa and the Middle East. You actually have dark-skinned mm. people. Yeah. They and that <laughs> that completely reflects mm. the way the real world looks like. And what you see happening in this is. You have folks from across the NRC coming across the sea, right? This is this is an invasion. Like a war is about to start. Yeah, spoiler alert yeah. for Game of Thrones, yeah. by the way. <laughs> this back the natural state of man is not multiculturalism and diversity. The mm. natural state of man is self-segregation. And that's what Game of Thrones is in. And they're right. currently in the middle of breaking that. <laughs> yeah. John John Stewart made an excellent point once that the multiculturalism we have here in America is very unnatural and that what's so great about our country is that we rebel against that yes, sort of yes. uh, tribal nature that we have by being more incorporating, appealing to like, I will say our higher senses about how to build a community. And yeah, it's, um yeah, Game of Thrones absolutely is breaking that uh, sort of barrier there with this upcoming season. We uh, hope, yeah, yeah, we hope, we yeah, hope so. Yeah, and you know, I think what, John Boyega was really saying is that his, I think his point was really about main character roles and wanting to see, you know, more characters like Finn, for example, in a fantasy realm. And, you know, it's, it's like he was, uh, he was trying to say that this is a fantasy realm while it is rooted in real stuff. So his point was, why can't we have a black or brown character? He's but, like, there's more dragons in here than yeah, there are black people. Right? Dra- exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, a, it's like, a good, it's a good quip. Like we got species diversity, but we don't have racial diversity. And I think in the political world we're in right now, this feels more, and like you mentioned, you know, with our changing demographics, this is becoming a more important conversation than ever. And we need to really understand how we can reconcile this and such. Yeah. And, and so to pause and kind of go over um, like Game of Thrones diversity, where I, I think, think that John Boyega, um, our, our beloved Star Wars actor, and that's kind of one reason we also want to talk about this because, you know, John Boyega is part of the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. So he started this fight. This is your <laughs> fault, John. Um, we love you, John. <laughs> but there, there are characters mm-hmm. of color in Game of Thrones, right. across the narrow sea. Mm. Now, uh, and I'm bad with character names. I think Wormtongue is being thrown around as the main one, and then there's there's the the maiden um, to Khaleesi. Now, yeah. a good point to be made. Gray Worm, you mean? Yeah, Gray Worm. Yeah. Did I say Wormtongue? It's Lord <laughs> of the Rings. Stop mixing fandom, um, Stephen. <laughs> I know, sorry, but I think a good point to be made is that there is only one plot line. Mm. Um, what is the country across the narrow sea from Westeros? It's Essos. 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 Yeah. Um, where, where Khaleesi is doing her whole thing. Now, there are tons of black and brown people over there. A lot of them are enslaved uh, to whites from the West, and they mm-hmm. don't really think about it as whites. They think about it Westerosi, people, yeah. from, people from that continent. Yeah. Um, and they're being liberated, and they are being liberated by 
this white queen from yeah. Westeros. Now, so like, <laughs> so the only person, the only person who could possibly lead these people from Essos is a Targaryen from Westeros. Like she's in charge. And so still you have these, mm. these black characters, but they are still underneath her and subservient yeah. to her. And so like, it's a good point. Why couldn't you have the actual people from Essos be led by one of their own and not yeah. a foreigner? That's a good point. Um, but it is wrong to just sort of completely skew what is going on in Game right. of Thrones, which is that you have yeah. like this Western society, yeah. and Eastern society, mm. completely the way we think about it today. Black and brown and then white on the Western side. We have upset that dynamic in our world mm. because... I think free markets and trade. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I agree. Like, like that's how we've upset that, dude. Dude, immigration, free Woo! market, trade, immigration, totally. free yeah. markets, trade. Yeah. Swar, something Swar and I agree very much on. Um, <laughs> that's how we have disrupted that. Game of Thrones hasn't disrupted that. And if you're going to tell a story in a medieval setting, I don't think you should be expected to check boxes. You should be able to tell stories that exist in other contexts. Right. Um, and to John Boyega. The, the statement, I'm not going to pay money to see one type of people on screen or person on screen, um, you cannot flip that over for a person of another race. Another right. type of person, right. I cannot say that. And I shouldn't say that. That's crazy. Mm. Like, that's wrong. You tell me you didn't go see Braveheart? Like, you can't yeah. go see a movie about, like, the Scots versus the Irish or the, <laughs> the Irish, like, fighting the British. Like, you're going to see a lot of white people, right? And you should be interested in seeing those movies because right. there might be good stories there. So this is a good segue, I think, into talking about how people of color may feel like taking in these properties. How John Boyega, growing up as a fan, took in these properties as he was uh, struggling to be an actor. Um, it really, you know, the points you make are completely rational and steeped in logic and are rooted in history and are v absolutely valid. I think the difficult thing with this conversation is how steeped it is in feeling, how steeped it is in you know, we were talking earlier today about how um, when it comes to disputes, um, you were talking about a sermon in your church uh, about how no argument like between a married couple is finished with a zinger, <laughs> like a witty thing, because, yeah. you know, our feelings are valid as well. And it's like, but the thing is, it's so hard to communicate about that. And it's like, how do we breach that? How do we find that gap? Because, you know, as a, I just mentioned earlier in the episode, the only hero I had really growing up that looked like me yeah. was Aladdin. Yeah. And basically no one else. I think and then everyone yeah. else who should have been people like you yeah. were played by people like me. Yes. Right. And that's, yes. and that's, we're going to, we're going to go right to that here soon because I think that's where the feelings are, are justifiably strong. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned my church and, uh, the sermon that I told you about this morning where they like, yeah, no argument ends uh, after someone delivers a zinger. That's completely true. When we are having disputes with people or really just talking to people, the one thing that we want is not for them to say you are right, is for them to say I understand. Yeah. And I believe that to be true. I mean, there there might yeah. be some people out there, there's always, like, we kind of like throw this caveat in there with stuff, like there's <laughs> always somebody, yes. But there, everybody in general, wants understanding. They just want someone on the other side of the table for them to go, I get that. Like yeah. that, that makes sense. Um, 
you know, from, from what like experiences you've had, but let me tell you about mine. And so sure. I think the experience that you mentioned earlier with Aladdin and John Boyega would know this as well is, is the idea that like, you haven't had your stories told, right? Yeah. Like your stories have not been told. This has been a white world and the people who've been making entertainment for the past hundred years, uh, however long entertainment has been a thing on screen, it's been by white people for white people. Yeah. That is now just starting to really change. Yeah. And I'm excited about that. We should all be excited about that because more stories is a great thing. We are actually going to hear about the experiences and the trials and like the human struggle of people who have never had their stories told because we've been having to hear about, I don't know, again, maybe Braveheart, like over and over and over and over <laughs> again, right? There are so many other things to be told. But what I don't want to do is go tit for tat. Mm. I don't want to see us go down this road of our stories haven't been told. So let's take away Aragorn and mm. make him black when the movie comes out. Right. Mm. In Lord of the Rings. Like that is not the right way to do it. It's just not, it, 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 yeah. it just, it'll make people yeah. mad. And I feel like it will make people mad who normally would not have been upset about this particular issue. Right. Like the thing is, you care a lot about these properties. You love Lord of the Rings. You love Game of Thrones. You like to retroactively change it doesn't really solve the problem. It's like I, because I agree, we need these new stories. We're getting these new stories, particularly in Star Wars. Look at The Force Awakens. Look at Rogue One. It's something we absolutely should be celebrating. I think, yeah, I I, I think it was just like. The way I was approaching that, like a John Boyega article, his comments were really like a way of not taking them too seriously, but rather saying, yeah, like, why the hell couldn't Lord of the Rings have done this? Like, it was because of that, like you mentioned, yeah. this like white world told for white people, <laughs> like sort of thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it was only back in 2003, but it we have to admit it is still relatively prevalent yeah. and it's something that we're just starting to break out of as and you I, said. And there's, yeah. you know, I mentioned to you like we should talk about whitewashing because I mm -hmm. think whitewashing is egregious. Absolutely. And yeah. so it, it sort of seems, it puts me like in this situation where I'm like, please don't do to us what we have done to you. I okay? see. And like I, I recognize that that's basically the spot that I'm in is I'm, I'm like asking for mm. retribution not to be taken when it comes to movies mm. because it only makes people angry. You care and, again, you care about these stories and other people do too. And so, I yeah. like Matt Damon, what was that movie The Wall oh or something God, like that? was so stupid. That was, the Great was, Wall was like some horrible. Yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe there was a white guy yeah. there. Like maybe there was at some because you know there were travelers and traders and spice traders that came, but yeah. they wouldn't have been in leadership positions yeah. over a Chinese army. That exactly. is ridiculous. The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. So can we not have a samurai story that features Japanese people? Right. Like right? But right. And, and the argument has always been, but that won't sell, and that may yeah. be true. But now we have new platforms where things can go out. It can go out to Netflix. It can go out on Amazon. It can go out on all these different places. It doesn't have to be a blockbuster with Tom Cruise. So I'm just going to like go ahead and just say this. I think the reason that people may react negatively to... I'm just going to go here. Re, may act negatively to you having like a reaction against the... Uh, anti-whitewashing thing like for example uh, I, I don't know if I wouldn't ever want to call it that but yeah. yeah I get what you mean yeah the reason 
they may have a negative feeling towards it. I'm not saying it's like right, but rather it's because they see privilege. Like they see it as, you know, you've had so many characters. Why would it be so wrong if we retroactively did this? And I am, I absolutely, I genuinely believe that it comes from their own hurt feelings. Again, it goes back to feelings not being rational or necessarily logical or, um, you know, it's, um, it's difficult to talk about because I want to continue to validate what they're feeling because they have been through a lot, but I also don't want them to think negatively of you. I mean, the thing is like, what you post on social media, what you've said publicly should showcase that you're very much, I know you like both personally and from a professional standpoint, seeing you how vocal you are about diversity and representation, how it is something that you want. But unfortunately, I'm just going to say it like people will see you acting maybe negatively against this. And I'll be honest, maybe sometimes I have as well as you speaking from a position of privilege, you know, because of your background. Mm -hmm. And again, it's something that we shouldn't necessarily do. But again, it's like for these very specific sort of case scenarios, such as John Boyega talking about Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones, not necessarily for, we're not talking about future properties. I think the root of this discussion and the hurt feelings really lies in the bed of the huge, uh, array of history of this like whitewashing like white cinema culture that we've had for so long and i think we need to get to a point together where this doesn't become a political issue where this isn't a political issue anymore where this is something that like you said everyone has a voice at the table like to tie into real world politics for a second you know, I did my data science uh, final project on demographics and the election, uh, going through every single county mm-hmm. in the U.S. and looking at the demographics and how that contributed to the vote share. And guess what? More diverse areas tended to go Democrat, whereas more white areas tended to go Republican. I think that ultimately, idealistically, is wrong. I think that people should be part of a party because of ideals because of what they genuinely believe politics should be not because they feel like they need to be part of a tribe like john stewart said we are a rejection of that natural inclination towards tribalism the rest of the world goes through we are better than that yeah i really want to hop in right there because i have a a great fear um and this this comes from what john stewart said um and this comes from what we have seen in the trump era which is a fallback on racial identity um, as people's primary identity. And I come from the libertarian uh, right, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Libertarian right actually doesn't mean anything because libertarians are all sorts of like weird left right. (laughs) Um, But but I come from the libertarian world and there is a very small faction uh, of the libertarian world Um, And most people will actually put this on the doorstep of the Republicans, but it's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, Richard Spencer of the uh, the National Policy Institute, he calls himself a libertarian, right? (sighs) 
Um, that's where he identifies, and it, it stems from the states' rights thing, mm-hmm. uh, like a really like a really strong stance on states' rights. And then they they take that and they're like, okay, so this is libertarianism. It's about the individual and like you know smaller government. It's it's super weird. But the reason I wanted to bring that up is because he is pushing this message and pushing uh, young white guys, young white males. Um, to, to embrace racial identity as their first identity, not their politics, not their neighborhoods, not their cities. Uh, and the reason that he's doing that is because that's where the left has gone, um, that racial identity has become so strong. And so he calls white nationalism, and it's still white nationalism, it's still racism, uh, what he is pushing. He, tar- he coined the term identitarianism. What? Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. I haven't heard of this. Yes. Really. If you ask Richard Spencer, are you a white nationalist or racist? He says, no, I'm an identitarian. Um, that's the new thing that they've created. Well, and I, I'm, I'm terrified of this, right? Yeah. Because this is something that, like what John Stewart said, this is the base of like, I think what humans do, it is like our instinct to be Mm -hmm. tribal. And in the worst way, it's the way that things very much used to be, um, entire countries that were based off racial divide and young, insecure, angry white boys are getting goaded into this movement with Richard Spencer out of feeling like they can't be proud of being who they are. They have Scottish heritage or Irish heritage and everyone just calls them white. And you mentioned this before. It's like Persian, Arab, North African. It's not the same thing. Kurdish, right here. (laughs) And I'm I'm one, I really don't care about a lot of this Mm. stuff. Like, I, that, I want to see this world where we don't care. Like race is boring. Like, mm. like really, like this is what we're going to talk about. Like, let's just talk about our ideas. And, uh, Richard Spencer is preying on people in that regard. And the more that we continue to do this, this push from the left, there's going to be this underbelly of resentment that someone can prey on who can get people into their mm, camp as well into white yeah. racial identity. Yeah. And it, uh, it makes me really nervous and I don't know what the solution is to stop it because we can't just like make people inherently perfect or good. Because the thing is race is an issue. It's been like that for centuries. It's like that at a hyper point right now, race is a, you know, technically race is technically an artificial construct, but the way it is, played out today it is a very real thing that we do have to deal with with different groups not being represented or not being in positions of government or leadership where they you know where we still have a lot of institutional racism where we still have a lot of implicit racism going on in our society today i believe and many other people do believe it is something we absolutely have to address but i absolutely hear your concerns about richard spencer and how he is able to cultivate a reaction to that a reaction, but yeah. but i do not i don't believe that the i mean i'm not saying you suggest this at all i you're just stating your fear i don't believe that the uh, solution is to not talk about it i think in yeah. this hyper uh racialized like partisan world we need to talk about it. we need to have more honest and open conversations like we're doing right now in which we can address our feelings in which it's not through the lens of social media like guys this isn't a conversation you should be having through social media you're not 
honestly, you're not going to convince anyone of your point of view unless it's in like paragraph form. You're not going to convince someone through a tweet. I'm sorry. I, I just don't think it's not going to happen. It's, it's not going to happen. It's just yeah. going to just wedges people apart. And, yeah. you know, this is something that I, I feel like people around the world are thinking about and stewing yeah. about, like they're losing sleep about like, who am I? Yeah. And the world Identity. is, the world is yeah. changing so much. And we saw this, I think, I think one of the great examples is Brexit and the, what's going on? Oh in my Europe, God! Which, yes, you know, yes. What does it mean to be British? Yes. What does it mean to be German? Yeah. Um, why is one country trying to pull out of the EU? And the reason is probably because the EU is letting in uh, folks from the east, right? Right. And so the color totally. and racial makeup of being German is mm-hmm. changing, and yeah. so people are wondering. What does it mean to be German? Yeah. What does it mean to be this? What does it mean to be that? And I, those are valid questions to ask. Yeah. But we have to come to the right conclusion, which is that like, <laughs> actually, I don't know what I, the right conclusion is. We, we just have to not I, hate each other. Like, I, 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 yeah, I agree. I don't know it's what like, the answer is. I mean, the thing is, we need to work to address that together. I think the one thing we absolutely do agree on is that representation and being involved in the conversation and the debate is important that yeah. we want everyone to be included that i think so generally- i would have been angry for you if they cast some white girl for jasmine in aladdin right like that's just that's so wrong that's yeah. messed up yeah. not in the world that we live in today exactly. is that acceptable exactly. there is no way that that should be able to pass um, and you know, fantasy worlds, like the, the, the difference that I kind of cast out for you is like game of Thrones was made. All right. Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings was made and it was made in a certain time and it reflects a certain version of yeah. reality. Um, star Wars is made from scratch. Yeah. Star Wars has no excuse right. for not having I'm, more black and brown and, characters and women in leading roles. There's no excuse for and, that. And I just want to touch upon this, you know, growing up. One of my favorite characters of all time and one of my favorite films of all time, Lando in Empire Strikes Back. (laughs) Smooth, suave, but also deeply complex and compelling. Lando was justified. Han just like swooped (laughs) in and like threatened his entire operation. Come at me, bro. Like (laughs) we'll debate this. Hopefully not on Twitter because like, I don't know. That's an argument I could have on Twitter. Um. Something like that is deeply important. And while I do wish retroactively, I'll admit, like that the Star Wars original trilogy was more diverse, thing is, it did give us such an amazing character like Lando that we care about, that um, we gave us, obviously, our, one of the most important characters, maybe the most, yeah, the most influential character of all time from Star Wars is Princess Leia. I mean, I don't think that's up for, like, I mean, maybe it's, a, yeah, it's not up for debate, in my opinion. Like, it's, um, you know, it's like Star Wars has made strides, and I think it's continuing to make strides now with The Force Awakens, Rogue One, Episode 8, Episode 9, and virtually all other properties it's going to be coming out with now, and I'm happy for that. Yeah, I mean, I'm happy too, and I, I just... The galaxy is a really big place. Yes, it is. And they need to do a better job of showing how big it is. And I think that they are doing uh, the right things right now and they're headed in the right direction. Um, There's just there's just so many ways that we could wrap this conversation up and we need to wrap it up now. Um, We're going to talk about this again. 
Uh, we're going to do this with more people around the table. Uh, we would like to have guests on from different backgrounds to talk about this issue so that we can continue to flesh it out a little bit. Swar and I decided to box this in today for just him and me because we needed to have a conversation. Yeah, and we um, just want you guys to hear it as well. What, what y'all are hearing today is like Swar and me talking about this thing that like wrecked our friendship for a day, which was oh stupid. Oh it was boy. stupid. Like really, it shouldn't oh have happened, right? Bro. Um, and we know that all of you are dealing with these things as well on a daily yeah. basis with your friends and your loved ones. Yeah. Um, Email don't, us. Tweet, us, tweet at us, like, let us know what you guys are going through. We, we do want to hear about it. And, and that's what this show's for. Don't assume the worst of people. Yeah. Um, and when someone is trying to explain themselves on social and you can get the feeling that they're trying really hard to make yeah. the point. If you have their phone number, we encourage you. Beltway Banthas encourages you. Just call them. Call them. Talk. I, I have one friend. Yeah. I have one friend who I like, I'll call every now and then out of the blue and be like, well, you calling me? And I'm like, what's up? Actually, I was like, I wanted to ask you about that Facebook post. He's like, you're calling me? Like, yeah. Because I <laughs> really, healthy. I really value our friendship. Yeah. So I don't want to comment on your post. Um, let's cap it off there. Uh, we're going to come back to this again in another episode, but. So we want to open this discussion for y'all. Um, I really appreciate you so much. And I appreciate you too, bro. And thank you for talking about this with me because this you. is, man, this is complex and this is really hard to articulate. And I hope listeners are uh, giving Suarez and myself some grace um, because we try to be more prepared. And today we're just kind of like actually sharing um, our gut reactions to stuff. And Suarez yeah. gave me a gift today. Hold on one second. Oh my oh. God. <laughs> Suarez gave me as a gift his Darth Vader 2005 FX lightsaber i don't even know what to say i tried saying no you can't give this to me um but all i can say at this point is thank you um suara thank you so much and um i value your friendship and this podcast is awesome and i can't wait to do more i can't wait either and besides yeah, you can take that lightsaber i'm more of a light sider anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh you rebel So we've got a listener email actually from a really good friend of mine who serves in the military. His name is Will Beckham, and he's actually on his way to Kuwait right now. He's only going to be there for about a month. Um, Will's really great. I uh, hope you all follow him on Twitter. He's a really wonderful human being, and hopefully we're going to have him on the show soon to talk about military tactics in the Star Wars universe. So uh, here's his email right here. Hey, Beltway Banthas. Thanks for such a great episode on freedom and Star Wars back on Independence Day. I enjoyed it a lot and think the format of discussing an abstract concept like freedom and how it relates to Star Wars works really well. I'm currently reading the autobiographic novel Persopolis about a young girl growing up in the Iranian Revolution. Note, this is actually the first graphic novel I've ever read. Sorry, fellow nerds. Gasp. <laughs> In the beginning of the story, the protagonist Mar Marjanai, Mar wait, sorry, Marjanai and her family eagerly protest the Shah's dictatorship. However, their dreams are crushed after the Shah falls and the Ayatollahs and other religious revolutionaries impose a totalitarian theocracy in Iran rather than a liberal democracy. As terrible as both governments were, few people in Iran immediately wanted to bring back the Shah. In Star Wars, the rebellion never has to assert its own legitimacy in opposition to the Empire. Wasn't the Republic overthrown in the name of peace, justice, and security? Or the Empire just objectively really that bad? Even if the Empire is just as oppressive as Iranian 
Iran's uh, religious revolutionaries were in 1979, I don't think the immediate reaction of citizens across the galaxy would be to just revert to the old system. Iranians certainly didn't feel that way, nor in other countries with similar revolutions. Egypt is another obvious example. Few view the return of the military rule after the 2013 coup as an absolute triumph. So why does the new republic have to exert zero effort to establish its legitimacy? Am I missing something from the expanded universe take care will will thank you so much for your question that is a really great thing i hadn't really considered like why would the galaxy immediately i mean as bad as the empire was why would they immediately revert back to the republic i, I know Stephen. what are your thoughts you know i'm not really sure I, I i feel like it's just pretty basic uh you know when there's a, when there's a winner of a war there's you know there's there's peace accords and then there's a new government that comes in and replaces it I, the, the rebellion uh, was working on a form of government that they were going to transplant in the event of a victory. And I, I feel like they did. And yeah. when the world is in chaos, people are looking, and I, by the world, I mean the galaxy. When the galaxy is in chaos, people are then looking for order. Uh, it was ret- a civil war. Yeah. Retreating retreating back into like uh, individual world rule and everybody not being part of some unified system. I mean, this would have this would have been thousands of years out of style, right? Like, mm. people aren't just going to retreat into anarchy and having their own worlds and no no unified system. They're going to uh, embrace whoever the leader of the rebellion is. This is a civil war, uh, and they're going to fall in line. One because they want to enjoy trade, they want to enjoy the deals that come forward, and they want to be part of the new system. Uh, when you join the winner of a war, there's power to be had, and who doesn't want that, right? Yeah, totally. I think. Um... You know, people were really looking for security again after the war that ripped the galaxy apart. And, but I think Will has a really good point that, you know, there are still, it was only 19 years of empire rule and people yeah. still had memories of how bad and corrupt the Republic got. So I don't know, maybe we'll see this more in expanded canon. I mean, we haven't gone that much after Return of the Jedi, except the Aftermath trilogy, which was just the start of the New Republic. So maybe we'll see how Han, Luke, Leia, and their friends uh, try to reestablish order across the galaxy. Or sorry, try to reestablish a system of government across the galaxy. And yeah, we need a House of Cards or like a West Wing sort of yeah, series. Guys. His, yeah. his, his point about rebels in Iran is, is true. Just because you're a revolutionary doesn't mean that you have a good vision for what comes after. Oh, absolutely I mean, not. my God, uh, you can have a dictatorship and the rebels can be, uh, they can be rebels fighting a dictator, but uh, you, you don't trust that the rebels have your right. best interests at heart. Right, totally. All right, so that brings us to Bantha Fodder, where I feel like this episode has been kind of one long episode of back and forth Bantha Fodder, but still, we're going to do it because it's our tradition. I'm exhausted. I'm (laughs) foddered out. (laughs) No, but come on, Stephen, what's on your mind? Uh, So this past week, uh, my favorite singer, uh, musician, and artist uh, died. Um, Chester Bennington's the singer of Linkin Park. He's my favorite... um, Vocalist, uh, I have a favorite musician uh, who you know like writes songs and plays guitar and stuff. But Chester uh, at Lincoln Park uh, was my voice of peace uh, and solace. If I heard a song with him singing, even if it wasn't that good, I felt uh, comfortable because Lincoln Park was there for me when I was young and really struggling uh, with everything that being young entails. And Lincoln Park was there for me. Uh, on the nights where it was the worst. And so my brain is wired to consider 
all those songs and any song that Chester has ever done and been involved with on a side project to be uh, soothing. It's, it's, I can fall asleep uh, to one step mm. closer. I mean, that song is loud, <laughs> but I, I will fall right asleep because I feel comfortable. And yeah. um, um, he died by suicide. And I just worry about so many people in my life who struggle with depression, seem happy, but they're not. And I thought of this guy as being happy, walking on sunshine, and the light in the mainstream music world where everybody else always just was like bratty and snotty and entitled. Like Chester Bennington was just real. And if you're a fan, follow that band. Uh, you know that to be true. And uh, his demons caught up with him. Um, if you know anything about him, you know what those demons are. And... Um, cliche rest in peace i really miss him already i'm going to be at a candlelight vigil uh this wednesday in bristow virginia if uh, you want to go I'll be at jiffy lube in bristow at 7 p.m um i will put this out on twitter because this will have already happened by the time you hear the episode but mm. um i wish lincoln park the best and I, I hope the best for all those guys they're all they're all brothers and uh, i know they just they just lost one of their own so Swar, what is your Bantha fodder this week? I um, just want to say first, uh, you know, I listened to Lincoln Park as well in high school. Didn't really afterward, but, you know, they helped me through some of my angsty phases. And um, I'm just so incredibly sorry, bro. It was, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Sure. So I'm just going to move on to my Bantha fodder. And it, it actually kind of feels like a cap off of this entire conversation. So something I've noticed in fan community is automatically expecting the worst of someone who may be critical of a certain property that you really like. Um, I've realized that, you know, we're all going to have different opinions. Actually, this relates to my 1138 uh, piece, which you should all check out, like why it's healthy for fans to be constructively critical. In it, I talk about how everyone comes from a different background with their own perspectives, with their own balance and nuanced criticisms. And, you know, I think for the most part, they're legitimate unless they are actually actively bullying or being sexist or racist or bigoted or homophobic or, you know, any of these things that we can do without in civilized society. But, you know, people do have legit criticisms of, for example, maybe Forces of Destiny for the animation quality or for how short they are. You know, you're still allowed to have an opinion on this. It's doesn't automatically make you, you know, sexist or, um, you know, like uh, dismissive of these shorts because you happen not to like it. I think the only important thing there is to be cognizant of the audience you're uh, talking about or the targeted demographic and then maybe nuance your criticisms with it. But back to my main point, I think what I've noticed like from some fans is like loving absolutely every single aspect of Star Wars, but being super hypercritical on the fan community. And again, I want to reiterate, there are legitimate things to be critical about. The sexism, racism, gatekeeping, bullying that does go on that we do need to be concerned about and address whenever we can. We, I believe we absolutely should. However, I have noticed in certain interactions of someone, again, saying they may have an opinion on Forces of Destiny or some other sort of property, saying they didn't like something about it, and then another person automatically making a presumption about that person, and that person may see that and 
feel further alienated from being part of the conversation because you have already presumed the worst of them. So I guess my point is try to... This goes back to having conversations, open conversations. Don't automatically presume the worst of people. If they say something that is explicitly or implicitly racist, bullying, sexist, uh, gatekeeping, or things along those lines, particularly over Twitter, like remember guys, Twitter is not the best place for these nuanced, deep conversations, 140 characters, unless you thread your tweets and make it really long and devote a lot of effort to it. Like, I don't feel like many people necessarily have that time. So I implore you, like, try to listen out to other fans' criticisms first, and then make your judgment of that person second. So I think we can all do better to looking actively for the best in people as well. And I think that we do generally do that, but some of the voices I've seen like maybe haven't. And listen, if you disagree with me, if you think that I'm jumping the gun here, please let me know. I want to hear like uh, the deeper uh, backstory behind these things as well. But, you know, based on my interaction with the fan community, this is what I feel like I've seen. So that's my Bantha Fodder. Thank you, Sora. I, uh, I know Star Wars would have had a very different outcome after Return of the Jedi if Luke uh, refused to see the good in Darth Vader. Exactly. Um, so that brings us to the end of episode 36 of Beltway Bantha's. Sora, this was, a, this was a fun one. This was a tough one. Um, it was I, a meaningful one. I hope, I hope you listeners enjoyed it. This was a little bit different than usual. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating on iTunes. Not even asking for the review. Just the rating. We just yeah, we'd need, like the review too, maybe. <laughs> just just that rating. We just need those stars, y'all. Yeah. There are six hundred of you out there, and we have thirty-two uh, ratings on iTunes, and we need to get this show out to more people. We want to grow. We want to reach more people with this message of of listening and talking about Star Wars yes. together, not at each other. Um, so please do that for us. We really do appreciate it. You can reach us on social media at Beltway Banthas on Twitter. We will always talk to you if you are nice and my <laughs> respectful my, please <laughs> my twitter handle is at steven underscore kent 89 that's steven with a ph underscore kent 89 you can find me on twitter at suara saleh one that's s-w-a-r-a-s-a-l-i-h-1 you can also check out this facebook group of mine we're called sounds from a galaxy far far away we discuss john williams michael giacchino all things star wars and music and uh, i think you'll really enjoy the conversation just send a request to join the group and i'll accept you you sure sure will and we will be back next week uh, with an interview episode, and then we'll be back the week after that with more Beltway Banthas! Uh, live from the hive of scum and villainy. Uh, thanks so much for listening today, and may the Force be with you. Always. Always.